Welcome to the Kickstarter Journeys podcast brought to you by Fundamental Games. Each episode will provide you with some insight and opinions about successfully funded Kickstarter projects from the creators themselves. Here's your host, Wes Woodbury, ready to learn about another successful journey from the popular crowdfunding platform. Enjoy! Hello everybody, this is Wes with Fundamental Games and we're here with another Kickstarter journey. Today we have Dan Letzring. Is that how I pronounce it, Dan? Yep, let's ring, like let's ring in the new year. Let's ring in a fun new year, absolutely. Um, so Dan <laughs> is coming to us with uh, a very exciting Kickstarter that he ran last year and something coming up soon too uh, that I'm really thrilled to see. And so the one we're going to talk about the most is called Adventure Tactics. And then the one we're going to talk about the tail end is called Squire for Hire. But he's got a ton of great content in between to talk about too. So Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Wes. I really appreciate you. And uh, we're talking from across countries, across um, uh, different time zones. I think I, I'm in uh, MST. You're in, what is it, C? I'm in Eastern in, Standard Time. Yeah. Eastern Standard over in New York. So, yeah, right but on. I'm actually like way west New York. So, I mean, you're, you're in Canada, right? And so I'm an hour from Niagara Falls and the border, roughly. Okay. So, I'm kind of in Canada. We have a lot of Tim Hortons in my town. And, you know, we're practically, we call it Canada's armpit. <laughs> that's a lovely phrase. <laughs> yeah, that's where we are. All right. Well, Dan, um, Adventure Tactics is actually something that now that I look at it, I think I remember seeing this launch last year. And unfortunately, I don't have enough time to play all these amazing fantasy games that come out. But fantasy is my niche. And so Adventure Tactics was a co-op tactical combat game with deck construction inspired by uh, favorite RPGs from the past. And I presume maybe Final Fantasy might have tethered into that a little bit. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly actually how the game was born was uh, the designer, Nick Yu, is a really good friend of mine. He lives about 15 minutes away and we always do cons together. We, I mean, we hang out with our kids together all the time and we spend a lot of time just playing games and doing things. And we were at a local game dev festival and I just said to him, I was like, you know what the best video game of all time was? I was like, Final Fantasy Tactics is the best game ever. And that would be a cool board game with the level up system. And he was like, oh, my gosh, I absolutely agree. It is the best game ever. And that weekend he ran home and he outlined a 20 page word document with all the classes he was going to include in it. And he pretty much created all the classes that were going to be in the class system and like what their types of abilities and things they would do that weekend. And it was unbelievable how much he did just planning that weekend and he was so excited for it that we just kind of i mean we just pushed through and kept uh, kept working on it and we finally brought it to fruition last year so that was yeah very exciting yeah i mean uh, it does look pretty thrilling i scrolled through the campaign page the art is fantastic you guys raised i'm going to go with u.s funds because that's most recognized so 126,000 u.s raised on a goal of 37,000 1400 backers achieving 13 stretch goals and just a huge campaign full of different, like you said, 20 classes, multiple campaigns, um, all kind of different uh, kinds of components in the game. So it's going to be interesting to see how that all got developed from just that simple concept that you guys had. I'd love to have this video game in a board game. Uh, but I always like to talk first about Kickstarter because that's what this is all about. I'm sure most of the listeners are people that want to make their own games or enjoy uh, playing and buying games to inspire them to make their own games. So what is it that you, after uh, running 10 different campaigns, come back to Kickstarter each and every time? 
Well, I said, it all started with my first game, which I don't really push or do anything with anymore. But it was really, there was a big community-driven aspect. And I didn't even get that many comments, but I had a lot of just people reaching out behind the scenes. And, and having that direct contact with the community was extremely exciting. I'm a very like extroverted person. I love meeting people and yeah. just talking to people. And so that was very exciting for me, was directly talking to people who were super excited about it and uh, them, you know, just being passionate about my project as well, uh, that kind of lit the fire. And then obviously, so, you know, my wife and I, I mean, we we aren't poor, but we don't make a ton of money either. So for a lot of these games, I do this on the side. It's not my full-time job. So putting the money into them directly with personal funds, um, that would, you know, my you know, my wife probably wouldn't be excited about that if I did that. So, so really Kickstarter helps to do the initial push. Um, some games I do. Um, I, I put a pretty uh, low goal on some of them, and that's because where I'm in distribution and I know certain amounts of money I'll get in from the retail side of it, I'm willing yeah. to put a little bit into some games ahead of time. And so that's never like a problem for just a little bit, but I, I can't full fund a full print fulfillment uh, or, you know, freighting as well ahead of time with my own money. And so the games are doing pretty well though. And we're getting to the point where I, I might be able to in the future, because um, a lot of the games with the profits I reinvest, I, I, you know, do more second print runs or I, you know, put it into art and marketing for the next game. Um, so, you know, a lot of them, the, the games are self-funding themselves and we're building enough uh, equity in it that we can start putting more into the games early on so that we could either print more or like, uh, you know, like you said, avoid Kickstarter. But for right now, we, we need the funds from Kickstarter to even get it off the ground. Yeah, I mean, that's excellent. Your your first game, PhD, the game, like you said, a humble start at 6,900, but that's something many people would actually be excited for, especially uh, the year that we're about to go through here. And then you proceeded with Dino Dude Ranch and Dirigible Disaster, Gadgeteers, Groves, which anybody have seen Groves is an absolutely beautiful game full of uh, illustrious artwork of trees and leaves that raised 55,000. Again, that's Canadian. Um, but overall, your total campaigns, if you look from uh, PhD all the way up to Adventure Tactics has raised 337,000 Canadian or just over 200,000 US dollars. So pretty impressive. And um, uh, the journey that you've been on so far led you to that Adventure Tactics. So can you tell me about uh, when you made Adventure Tactics? How did you, uh, did you feel overwhelmed with the amount of components that you put in that one? I mean, you had boards, you had cards, you had minis, you had standees, you had dice, you had tokens, you had books. It was just huge compared to, I think, any other game that you'd made before. So how did how did you switch gears and make that happen? Well, like you said, so Nick and I have talked a lot about it. Nick, um, that I worked with, it's not the first game he designed, and he actually self-published two games a few years ago, so he's not new to the scene either. Um, but we both said we wouldn't have been able to do this if we didn't have our history of working with printers and working with Kickstarter and dealing with all of the facets that are involved with it ahead of time on smaller games to get to this point. It has been really overwhelming. We're not done with all the files for the printer yet, and that's because, I mean, we've even been working with four different um, graphic designers, and it's still not enough to get everything done on time, um, just because there's so much. And so yeah. at this point, we're almost done, but there's about 800 cards in the game, and so really proofing them because, uh, you know, it's not just proofing uh, that the, the words are spelled correctly or that we're saying what we want to say, but there's references in the campaign guide there's key items you can obtain when you uh, get to certain parts that affect the story or the paths you can take there's cards that you're told to draw out of certain 
stockpiles and put in other ones. So I've been going through to make sure everything's obviously labeled right in the right compartments and what they need to be. And so that's been the most overwhelming part, but I'm just taking it very slow. The other night, it's because I worked on it too long. I was doing it for a couple hours and then it was almost midnight and I like felt like I was going to just like lose it. But all I did was step away from it and pick up where I was the next morning and it was fine. Um, but it's just, so I've gone through, we have almost 500 cards done and submitted to the printer and we just have a couple hundred left, um, which sounds like a lot, but it's actually not going to be too, too bad because I've done a lot of the legwork of what I need to look for going through them and planning yeah. it. And now I just have to actually do it. So yeah, it's been a lot. <laughs> it was overwhelming for a while, but we're getting there. And, and so for a game of this complexity, uh, did you give yourself enough time? I know one of the caveats about Kickstarter is how do I establish my delivery time? And then how many months buffer do I give myself? Because nothing ever goes as planned. Uh, how did you determine your timeline? And do you think you're going to hit it? Um, so I do think I'm going to hit it. Um, but, you, you know, things come up. And I, I mean, I think with the game this size, backers are aware of what can happen with it. And I communicate very often with them, or at least right now, monthly. And even if it's I'll just go to the, the backers and I'll list what we've submitted to the printer in the last month. So I'll say, you know, we're still working on getting everything done, but this month we finished the box art that's been submitted to the printer. We got proofs of the minis already, um, you know, and I'm just updating them every step along the way just to make sure that they know that I'm consistently keeping them up to date on what we're doing. Um, normally, I give myself about nine months to from funding to delivery. And for this game, I gave it a year i think it was almost 13 months because i knew it was probably going to take me three to four months longer than usual um and i'd rather over promise and deliver early than under promise and deliver late so um so that's where how i gauge that i just figured three extra months would be where we'd need to be and i think that that's about accurate with where we are right now and i think we're still on target for uh fulfilling by july no that's awesome July is a fair ways off, so you still got some time to finish off those files. And I, I imagine you're printing overseas and then going to distribute throughout from North America, or do you have multiple distribution channels set up? Yeah, yeah, we have multiple channels set up. And yeah, the one thing we've done that I thought was, I mean, was a good way to approach this was we knew there'd be a lot of cards in this game, but the cards for the printer to print aren't that difficult but doing things like forming the minis like the molds for the minis we have custom dice uh doing things of that nature obviously take a little while longer so although the cards are taking a while we are we submitted all of the files for the complex stuff and i've already received proof print copies of the dice of the minis to make sure they're okay um so the the really difficult stuff that it takes to prep is already done so once they get the card files they can just format them on the sheets and print them which really doesn't take that long so we've been trying to do it that way that the most complex stuff was first so that we could just move along as we go with the printer yeah that's great i mean i've um I've been through this process a couple of times and I I'm getting to a point now where I almost want to, when I jump to different manufacturers, I don't know what to expect from them because some of them have templates. Some of them don't, some of them like cards in a single picture format. Some of them wanted it laid out in a giant graph. So I'm trying to get that legwork done in the forefront and just know what they expect. So you don't have to redo all the work and, or like you're doing is separated into um, different groups of complexity and just get parts of it done so that after the Kickstarter, you're not just um, overwhelmed with what you still have left to do. I like how yeah. you got that later. 
Yeah, and I, I agree. I've, I've, every printer I work with has a different system, and you know, there's an adjustment period with them. Uh, there are some that I've worked with that wouldn't even start on some of the pieces until everything was submitted to them. So I'm really happy that the company I'm working with is doing that because we, I mean, it just is going to save us a lot of time, and I think that it'll be fine. So I'm really happy that we're doing this. It's the first time I'm printing with them. Well, kind of the second time, uh, Squire for Hire I picked up at the end of last year, and we printed our that game with this printer first. But the Adventure Tactics will be our first full-fledged board game that we're doing with them. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. But I trust they're going to be really, really good. They've been amazing so far. Right on. Now, when it comes to um, things like stretch goals, I mean, Adventure Tactics, uh, I saw about 13 unlocked there. And you also had a bunch of different kind of add-ons or different components. Um, So how did you kind of put that together to decide what should be main game, what should be a stretch goal, and what should be an add-on or a, a bonus content? Yeah, you know, that's one of the difficult things with every campaign. And so I'm more of a person of I appreciate upgraded components versus added gameplay. I think adding new gameplay in is always difficult. Is it tested? Is it even good? Should it have been included in the first place? So I typically don't like doing it. That's just my point of view. I mean, everyone has a different method and it works for some people. But for me, I I really am all about those really pretty upgrades for components. And so I tried to think of what components were absolutely necessary and what were kind of just luxury as I was looking into. So like the initiative tracker for each round is shuffled and put out. And I mean, it works with cards and that was our initial um, goal was going to be cards. And we were like, well, we could always upgrade to punch board as well. But then we decided to go with plastic poker chips, uh, kind of like too many bones. And yeah. yeah. And so obviously those are really nice. They shuffle well and don't really get damaged. But that's a luxury. Those are way more expensive than just adding eight extra cards to the, the game. And so that we started without those. And actually, we did. that was the one we didn't end up unlocking. And we ended up unlocking it for our backers. Anyway, we got a lot of uh, late pledges and people who were really excited for them. And I mean, to be honest, Nick and I were both excited for them as well. So <laughs> some of the stretch goals are selfish things I'd like to see in there that I'm just like, oh, this is, like I said, a luxury and we don't need it, but I really want it. Um, so that was one. The miniatures, obviously miniatures and the molds add a lot of money. And so oh, we yeah. just did five miniatures for the heroes. And there are five pets or familiars in the game. There's an imp, three skeletons, and a wolf for the beast companion. And so we kept those five out of the game. And we said just the heroes. But as a stretch goal, we'll unlock miniatures for the uh, familiars. Again, it's something that is nice, but not absolutely needed. And so that's kind of where we kind of make that determination. Um, You know, we don't like to go cheap, cheap, but at the same time, what's absolutely needed and what isn't. Oh, that's good. And um, I think it's worked out. Did you find that it ended up overcosting the game or were you still able to keep yourself in the green? Yes. So for most games, I get quotes for all the stretch goals and I'll get a one quote for one quote for everything unlocked and try and gauge my um, support based on that as well. Um, so when I'm going into this, I know exactly how much money I'll be spending on upgrading everything and going with it. And so for me, that wasn't a problem because um, I, I plan for the, the stretch goals really, really early cost wise. You know, another thing is weight wise. If you're adding a lot to the game, it's going to change the shipping estimates. Uh, 500 so, metal coins. 
Yeah, exactly. And now it goes from two pounds to six pounds, and that's a lot of money. Um, so, so we were very aware of all of that happening. And so we we're very aware of the funds we've received and how much we could spend going into it. Uh, but the biggest thing for this game was actually really art and graphic design. Um, we're still like going to be in the green, and it's fine, but that was one of the biggest costs that we always estimate, and it's been way more because we needed – we added another 100 50 pieces of artwork after the campaign because it just we did well and we knew it would be really nice and so that was very expensive and dealing with four graphic designers all churning out all these components was very expensive and uh, so i'd say that was a bigger cost shock than upgrading any components or anything like that but again it's something that we were pre prepared for and knew it would be an issue so um you know that's great Love to hear it. Um, and when when we go back uh, and look at, I mean, obviously your campaign was successful and you found different ways to market it. And one of the things I like to look at is the video and um, paid advertising aspect of it. So I, when I was looking through your campaign, uh, you had someone named Cassie L that did quite a few different videos for you. But then you also had Tantrum and Man vs. Meeple. Uh, so how do you feel about those video reviews? Do you feel that they were um, they helped you fund or that they got you more interest? Definitely. You know, for a lot of these games, too, I don't always think in terms of them helping you fund, but do they help you reach an audience you haven't done yet? So I had never worked with Man vs. Meeple or Tantrum House. And a lot of times, too, if it's a smaller game where the margins are smaller, um, you know, sometimes I don't necessarily feel like spending all the money for the previews for the return on those games I'm going to get is worth it. But for this game, it was an expensive game. It had fantastic artwork, so I knew it could sell itself. It had a great, you know, selling points that were really easily um, notable or bullet pointable so for people to really associate with this game and like just want it. And so I yeah. knew that this game would be worth investing in those um, previewers. And like I said, that way too, it would bring my brand to their audiences in which I've never done that before. So. Hopefully that, you know, these new backers that are now backing my project will continue with us for future games as well. Great. And um, did you find, um, like, have you used Dice Tower or have you used Unfiltered Gamer or other ones in the past? And like you said, just trying to reach a different audience with each game? Um, so I haven't used Dice Tower or Unfiltered Gamer um, directly during the campaign. I send a Dice Tower typically after a fulfillment when I'm going towards retail release. Um, but for our next game, for instance, we're working with Rado, who I've worked with previously, but I haven't actually worked with him on a game in probably two or three years. And so yeah. I'm excited to uh, get back and working with him. He's a great person to work with. He's really nice. He's super passionate about the games. And Squire for Hire felt like it was right up his alley. Um, so again, that's something we consider is, will he like this game? Is this his type of game? you know, who who best will sell these games when we're working on them? And I feel like it's good for him and his audience and what they're looking for. You know, it's soloable. It's one to two players, and he likes solo and two-player to play with Jen. So it just really felt like that was a good fit for him, whereas Adventure Tactics is totally not. He doesn't want this huge <laughs> campaign game. You know, you know, in Animal Kingdom's yeah. is area control. So I, you didn't mention I'm not sure if you're aware. I co-own Galactic Raptor games, and so... Uh, we launched Animal Kingdoms and funded that last year as well. That was our first title. And that's an area control game. Rado hates area control. So we wouldn't reach out to him for that yeah. game. You know? And so it's really, you got to know who you're sending these games to and really figure out who's the best person to for each diff game. And it changes game to game. 
Yeah, and often they're going to ask you for a summary. They might want a video. Most of them just look at the rule book and decide from there. I know Rado's good with that, and so are a couple others I've talked to. So if you've got your, it's really important get your rule book done as early as you can once you've established your game, so that you can figure out who is going to do my video or who could do my video, and do they even want to? Exactly. Rado is very prone to saying no if he's not interested. So. Oh yeah, he he's very direct like that, which I appreciate. He's not going to waste your time. You reach out to him, he's like, okay, sounds interesting. Send me the rule book. You send him the rule book, and it's either, yeah, great, send it to me, or not really my type. Thanks, though. <laughs> reach out next time. And he's always open the next time as well. And so I think the first two or three games I did, I reached out to him, and he said no. And then uh, the third or fourth I sent to him. And, you know, I worked with him two or three times in that time period. And then, like I said, the next few games I didn't really think were a good fit for him. And then Tactics came. Uh, and Squire for Hire, I mean, the expansion I think is perfect. So I decided to reach out to him again. Yeah. And when it comes to your kind of your game assortment, if you look at Letterman games and you mentioned galaxy Raptor as well, has a different style of game with animal kingdom. But even if you just look at uh, your uh, history here, you've had a game about PhD, you've had a dinosaur dude ranch, you've had gadgets, you've had trees, you've had Neverland, you've had uh, Russian uh, stacking dolls, I think Matro Matryoshka. Yep. And then adventure tactics. So uh, really all across the board between themes and types of gameplay. Is that uh, intentional or is it just kind of what you're feeling at the time? Yes. You know, it's actually been really good and bad for us. Um, so it's great because I have a lot of different games and I love that. I have co-ops. I have, like you said, big miniature campaign game. I have a small card game. Square for Hire is a pocket game. I've had area control. Uh, Groves is a worker placement. And what's great is then when I go to cons or even local events, it's an easy sell because when someone comes to my booth, I can just ask, what type of game are you interested in? And tell them about one game that really fits their interests the best. Um, whereas, you, you know, sometimes people come up and people will explain all 10 games they have to them. And, you know, I don't need to do that if I know they're really interested in, say, co-ops. Or if they hate them, that's two games or three games I don't have to describe to them now. Yeah, um, just tailor your conversation then. Yeah, but the biggest problem then is it really parses my community out. Um, you know, with consistent brands, if you have set audience that like a certain game of yours and your next game is just like it, if they liked your first one and it's their style of game, they're going to like your second one too. But for me, it's like, okay, I have a family game, I have a midweight worker placement, and that's going to be a very different audience that might be then likes the family game, and then the miniatures campaign game is going to be then a different audience from the others. So I'm working to build the audiences that I'm trying to get to the campaign on the first day a lot more because the next game might be completely different from my last one. And so I can't count on all of my community and newsletter, the people who receive my newsletter, that they're really going to be into the next game. Yeah, and so... You, you kind of have to start the ground up each time when you're diversifying the way you are, because you, you'll have that little bit of core audience, but you're not going to get every one of your followers where um, something like Simon games, where they're always minis and there's tons of mini followers. So when they launch their game, they've got a crowd behind them. Uh, so you might have to work a little bit more, but at least you have a diversified profile. So you are building your audience in different ways that way. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, that's why I said there's some good aspects to it and some bad. And I, I I really like the way I've been doing it, though. You'll notice, at least for my company, all the games, even though they're very different, have similar style aesthetics. I like somewhat cartoony, but inviting. It's still a little mature, though. So depending on the game, Dino Dude Ranch is really young. So that's kind of cutesy. But, um, yeah. you know, if you line all the game boxes up together, they look like they flow together. Um, 
I guess with the exception of Gross, because that's really more modern, but um, it's beautiful, so I'm okay with that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you've definitely proven that you have what it takes to build a game from scratch, to market it, to fund it. Uh, you've delivered many, many, many games, and uh, obviously your crowd likes what you're doing. And so it's good to see that you're continuing on, and you have a new project coming up, uh, and it's called Squire for Hire, and you've kind of alluded to it a couple times in our discussion here. And Squire for Hire, it's a kind of a micro game, right? The first game consisted of just 18 cards, and yet somehow you raised $16,000 US with it and had over 1,300 backers at just $10 for a base pledge. So that's phenomenal numbers for such a, a, a tiny little game. Uh, so let's, normally I'll just talk about one game, but given that uh, Squire for Hire was a Kickstarter and you're doing a sequel, I think it's a good time to talk about that one as well. So, so first I want to give credit to John. He's the designer of the game. He did the first Kickstarter. So he self-published Squire for Hire base game at the end of last year on Kickstarter. And he did a great job. It was his first game. And like you said, he raised, he had a lot of backers. He raised a lot of money. And I saw it and I thought it was really a great game. And I thought it fit my lineup. I was looking for a small game. So I reached out to him mid-campaign. And I was just like, hey, John, what are your plans for after the campaign? He's like, I don't I don't really have any. And so I was like, well, I, I do. So let's work together. And I was like, Hugo, can you send me the game? And so he did. He sent me the game. And I loved it when I played it. Uh, my wife and I played it. And it was just great. So I had some friends over after that. And we, we all just couldn't get enough of it. So I was like, great. I'm going to sign this if you're OK with it. And so he was he was definitely on board. And it worked out really well. We had a great working relationship. And it was good for both of us. It helped my company. It helped him with his game and everything. And um, we're almost sold out. And so we wanted to reprint it. And we've been talking about ideas for expansions. And the main reason was that, you know, started all the thoughts on it was the base game alone that's only 18 cards is for one to two players. But if you buy two, it can support up to four. And I kept telling him, he kept telling people that. And I was like, stop getting him buying two. He's like, why? I was like, because we're going to do an expansion. It's going to be different cards. It's going to add something new. And they'll combine those to get up to four. But if you keep telling them to buy two of the base game, they'll already be supporting up to four, right? And so uh, we, did, you know, we didn't have an expansion in mind right away with those. But he had been working on some things he had thought of. And so then we went to PAX together and we really worked out some of the details with that because we had a, we did, drove there together and drove back together and he started playtesting it right away after that and um, getting it out there. And so now the second one, this one I'm going to be involved in from the beginning. He's still running it from his Kickstarter account, uh, but yeah. I'm going to be, you know, like the last one I didn't send in my newsletter, promote on my social media, really do anything for because I came into it at the end of the project. I did all the after project stuff and so this one will be the first one that we're doing for square for hire that we're actually doing together yeah and like i said that's awesome because your your sequel is only 18 cards as well but it just has so much potential that you're mentioning john john merchant if anybody's looking looking him up on kickstarter there but um and even within when we talked about the stretch goals for adventure tactics they were big they were bold you had 13 of them but when you look at square for hire which was under john he had it kind of the stretch goals built in in a way. So he had zero stretch goals as an offer, but he had uh, free wallpaper, free PDF of score sheets, uh, already UV gloss cards, a hook box, a bonus wire card on Kickstarter. So we kind of built it into his tactic. You plan to do that for the sequel to Squire for Hire, or are those going to be uh, yeah. going to go the stretch? Okay. 
for this one, we really don't want to, and there's a couple of reasons why. It's um, One, it's a small game, right? And so you can only do so much with it. We don't want to add more cards because they're, they, the box folds and fits so many cards. So if we start pushing the number of cards in there, it's just not going to close well, and it's just going to be an ugly situation. We also want to match the quality of the first game so they can be combined easily. Um, so you know those are already top quality cards, and we can't cheap out and do really thin cards after that. We want the best quality cards, and where it's a card game that's the only component there we want it to be as good as possible so at that point really we're just stuck with there's not a lot we can do with it so for us we just want to say for this one really there's no stretch goals uh, but we added um to make it really exciting for people on kickstarter we're adding something that's not going to be in retail which is an extra squire pack and that's going to be cheaper than the base game but it's going to be 18 cards and it's all in the game you get a squire that has special abilities and this pack adds 18 more squires you could choose from and so it just uh you know is a kickstarter somewhat exclusive that will get people to want to back even if there are no stretch goals right on well, I'm excited to see how that one turns out. And you're launching that pretty soon, right? Is that on the 31st of March, you said? Yeah, March 31st, so 10 days. I actually, two days ago, I mean, March has gone by so fast. I messaged John. I was just like, holy 12 days away. <laughs> but we're pretty ready now. Um, all the reviewers have had it for a while. The campaign page is pretty much done. And it's just a matter of getting spreading the word out there now. Um, John's got to reach his old backers. i got to form up a newsletter for my audience and start promoting it on my social media and just spreading the word that it's coming soon. Yeah, and that's a great thing for people that are listening. How do you plan out a new Kickstarter? Some people are brave and they just press, they prepare their page two days prior and just press launch and hope for it. Uh, some people plan weeks and months in advance. Some people plan six months to a year in advance. So it sounds like You've been planning this ever since Wire for Hire was finishing its original Kickstarter. Uh, how long ago was that again? Uh, so it finished last September, I believe. Yeah, it was September or August because it was insane. We it ended in August and we were able to get fulfillment started and product to us by PAX Unplugged, which was in November. Yeah, so you're already half a year. Right? half a year past Squire for Hire, but you've been planning out the sequel ever since. And um, how long out did you figure to make your Kickstarter piece? Uh, I usually like to have it done pretty early. Um, John, Luckily, John's the artist as well. And so he can make graphics pretty quickly. And so he's been working on the page uh, with my input for uh, probably a month and a half to two months. And about two weeks ago, we really had it close to done. And yeah. so we're just finalizing things. We shared it in the Kickstarter advice group last week and we actually are two days ago only and we got some great feedback. So that's great. And that's why I like to have it done early. Some people post asking for help the day or two before, and it's just not enough yeah. time to make the changes. And, you know, we had some good advice on streamlining the reward tiers, which was something we were kind of thinking anyway. And that just helped us make that decision that that was the right way to go. And so then we just redid the reward tiers to make them less confusing. Um, before, it was kind of like you could back for either just Mystic, the expansion or the base game. And we're like, no, we're funding the expansion. We don't need to sell the base game alone. That's not what this campaign is for. So we took out that option just because it was just making things confusing. There were a lot of options. And we're like, no. We're just going to make three tiers. They're going to be very straightforward, and that's it. And so yeah. that, that's why I like to be done early, because you can get that input. You can make those changes or think about them. Take time to be like, is this the right way to go? Instead of a day before scrambling to be like, what should we do? 
Yeah, it's great to be able to just take a look back, know that you've got weeks ahead of you and just kind of really think, is this what I want to do? Is this direction I want to take? And I'm always on board with simplifying. I've, I've uh, tried running a campaign with, I think, uh, eight or nine tiers, and it gets com- complicated not only to explain it, but also to deal with it on the aftermath. Like when you're actually trying to fulfill everything, it's like trying to sort it all out can be a mess if you can really simplify it like you did. If you have three levels or four levels max, uh, then you can really make things run a bit smoother for you both before and after. Absolutely, yeah. And so that was our goal. And so luckily, we got that advice the other day, and we've already implemented those changes, and we're raring to just hit go now. We're pretty much just at that point. You know, there's a point where you're like, oh my gosh, we're not ready. But once you get ready, you're at the point where you just want to hit go. And so we're kind of there now where we're just, we feel ready. Awesome. And, you know, I mean, people that are trying to build... um Games like Adventure Tactics don't always put in as much planning time as you're putting in for Squire for Hire. So I think we're going we're gonna to see some tremendous success with that. And I'm looking forward to seeing how that launch goes. And hopefully, this, yeah, this podcast will be live right around that time. So if anybody's listening and you want to see what uh, Dan and John have been up to, just jump on Kickstarter and you can see that there. Is there anything else you want to share about what you've learned over the years uh, on your Kickstarter? Like maybe what is your... the Maybe the worst expense you ever had on Kickstarter, and how did you learn about that? The worst experience? The, the worst um, expensive experience like that. Oh. Um, from Kickstarter, I'm trying to think. I'm guessing with one of my first campaigns, I think I had issues with getting my product to my international fulfillment center and I didn't fill out customs forms right so I sent them and then they got sent back to me and then I had to send them again so I was paying the fees twice I think that might have been the most expensive with most things I've I've pretty much planned them out um you know I found an error after proof printing that like it's maybe 200 bucks to fix and so that's not a big deal but yeah I think it was when I sent a lot of product and that it got sent all the way I drove home from work one day and there was just piles of boxes on my front step because yeah. it got sent back to my house and i'm like what is this and it was all the labels to my uh international fulfillment center and i was like no so not only did it delay fulfillment for all the international backers but i had to pay double to get the games there in the first place so that was just horrible that was one of my most memorable things and i think yeah. all of it was there's a bill of lading like you fill out a list of all the um product that's contained in there and i just didn't do one i didn't know i had to do one at the time it was my first big shipment overseas and there was no bill no list of product no no inventory sheets no nothing and so when i got to customs they refused it and it got sent back wow well there's there's a lesson somebody can learn from absolutely yeah and some some creators have been through that and that just kind of bankrupts them right they don't even get to the point where they can deliver those packages and it's gives kickstarter a bad name so it's great to see a creator like yourself was able to kind of suck up that cost and overcome that obstacle and still continue to create games beyond that and you built that trust up with the backers who probably heard about your mistake i mean you sound like you're a pretty transparent person in your updates and your memos so um it's great to see you're just able to make it happen yeah and like i said i always try to make sure i have extra money in the business account so that if issues come up we can cover it and like I said, so for Squire for Hire, we're reprinting the base game, and it would be great to raise enough funds that we could 
cover the costs of both the base game and the expansion in the Kickstarter, but John and I are already planning on paying for the reprint ourselves outside of the Kickstarter. So that's kind of like our backup plan because we, we want to reprint it. It's almost out. We have the funds from the selling of the first print to be able to do that. Um, and so it's kind of like our we're going into it with the plan to pay for it ourselves, for at least the base game. But if we end up raising enough that we could pay for both, um, you know, that's just better for us because then we can put that money into working on more games and do doing other things. So that would be great. And so, yeah, but we always have a backup plan and we're always ready for extra costs if they come up. And then reinvest, reinvest, reinvest. You must have something else you're working on. You sound like you enjoy designing games on your own as well. Do you have something on the back burner that will come later on after Squire for Hire, the, the sequel? So, so for myself, I actually kind of stopped designing once I've been publishing, and I'm okay with that. I have one game coming from Galactic Raptor Games right now. I have, John and I are already talking about more expansions for Squire for Hire that we think will be really exciting, um, but we're not going to push forward with those too much yet. Uh, but really, I stopped accepting pitches and taking games because I'm really focusing on adventure tactics. If this hits and lands well, Nick and I already have uh, an expansion planned out for that that I think would be amazing. And I am looking into, so the game Metrioshka that you mentioned, that was published yep. in the Netherlands by White Goblin Games, and we localized it to North America last year. And so we're looking to do maybe one more localization this year where we can bring an already done game to the United States. So, you know, we have a couple of things that we're thinking about, but nothing that is on the immediate horizon because we want to focus on all the games that are that we're working on right now. Yeah, it's a, it's a good way to be clear up what you already have on the docket before you start something new exactly all right well uh what do you do in your spare time then i mean you design games you work or if you publish games you work full-time your adventure tactics must take up a huge much time is there board games that you play or are you a video gamer so I'm, i used to play a lot of video games in college i haven't in a very long time um you know i play with my kids a lot like most of my spare time i'm just hanging with my kids doing craft projects or you know whatever it is and just having fun with them after they go to bed if i'm not doing game stuff my wife and i um you know we like to uh pl play games together so she and i'll do a lot of two-player games we watch a lot of Netflix, we like to binge watch series together and uh, do that. Sometimes we'll read side by side and just do that. But, uh, you know, just mostly by the end of the day, I'm ready to crash after all the things I'm doing anyway. So anything that's mindless yeah. is nice. Yeah, I've been binging through Blacklist lately, just as something different for an eye. So. Uh, but we like two-player two games as well. I, um, do you have a favorite two-player game? My favorite of all of the just two-player games is Seven Wonders Duel, probably. I really like that one. Uh, my expansion? wife actually... Uh, we don't have the expansion. For my wife, her favorite thing to play with me, she loves Dominion. Uh, she just absolutely loves it. So it's not two-player only, but um, you know she she loves it at two-player. So we play that one a fairly good amount. We just played yeah. uh, Rolled West, the Roll and Write game for Gold West last week, and... She really enjoyed that one. I had played it previously, and I knew I liked it, but she, uh, I introduced that to her for the first time, and she really enjoyed it. And so, you know, we try and do a fair mix of things. We we did Pandemic Legacy Season 1 together, and we have Season 2, but we haven't started it yet. So now that we're quarantined inside our houses, we may be breaking Season 2 open soon. Yeah, I have Season 2 as well. We played the trial version, just like you open up the box and it has a play this before you actually play the game version. And we tried that. We never have gone back to it as much as it looks like a great game. 
we went through pandemic season one in like a week and just kind of <laughs> overwhelmed us. So it's, uh, one of these days we'll get back to that one. And uh, I love that you mentioned Dominion because that is such a diversifying game. I mean, we went deep into it over the past few years and we've got every expansion. So it's really fun to just say, hey, uh, tell my son, hey, go pick out a uh, randomized selection of cards and we'll just play a game. And every game is completely different. It's really cool. Yeah, that's what we like too. You, we we don't have all the extensions. We only have Intrigue and Nocturne, but they're yeah. great. And like you said, I mean, one game, you know, you're really heavy on the attacks you do with each other. One game's really money heavy, and it's just always different. It's always, you know, exciting and something new. And you know, I'm just happy. You know, most games, I'm I'll play anything. I just like sitting there and hanging out and playing games at the table. So I'm I'm not picky at all. I love everything. And so it doesn't take too much to make me happy as long as it's, you know, quality time with people I love. So that's yeah. what I usually look for. Well, if she likes dual, the expansion takes um, a couple times to get the concept really laid in, but it really is a good um, way to layer in extra strategy and decisions um, beyond what you do in the original Seven Wonders. I'd recommend you try in that one, dude. Awesome. Yeah, we'll have to check it out. It's Pantheon, right? That's what it's called, I think. Yeah, they've only made the one sequel. So. Yeah. Yeah, I've looked into it, but I haven't gotten it yet. So now that you highly recommend it, I might have to because we love that one. There you go. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Dan. I really hope your Kickstarter journey with Adventure Tactics and Squire for Hire and our discussions about them can help inspire and educate some other creators out there to keep working at and making their ideas turn into reality. You've been really um, insightful into some of the things that you've done with Letterman Games and with uh, um, Galaxy Raptor. I'm not going to remember that one. Galactic right? Raptor, yeah. Galactic Raptor, there you go. So, Thanks so much for, for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, I know I kind of already was like, hey, I like what you do. Can I come on your show? And I really appreciate you saying, yeah, let's do it quick so it can coincide with your Kickstarter and taking the time to to get me on. I know, you know, it must take you some time to step out of whatever it is you're doing. So I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I, I just love the hobby. And if I can help and learn something at the same time, and you've definitely taught me a couple of things on this call, then uh, so much the better. And for those of you that are listening to the podcast, if there's one thing you can do to encourage and motivate other Kickstarter journeys, just take a minute and a dollar or two and support a project that catches your eye today. Uh, we are just coinciding, if you're listening to this uh, recently upon the launch, uh, coinciding with Dan's and um, John's game, Squire for Hire, the sequel there. So uh, you can always jump on that campaign as well. We might not be able to buy all the cool things we see, but even uh, a buck or two can help pad their bottom line and keep their project moving in the right direction. Feel free to subscribe or follow and continue to hear other Kickstarter journeys. We've got some more great guests lined up for the future. Have a great day, everybody, and take care, Dan. Thank you. You too.